Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. I'm constructing this episode of On the Ball after the first day of the first round of the NBA playoffs and recording it after day two was completed. While I watched enough of all eight games to know exactly why they unfolded as they did. The one that I find the most interesting was the Minnesota Timberwolves unexpected 130-117 win over the Memphis Grizzlies. That's the seventh seeded Minnesota Timberwolves over the second seeded Grizzlies. The heavily favored Grizzlies against the had to earn their spot by winning a play-in game over the Los Angeles Clippers with Paul George Timberwolves. The reason I want to dive into this game in particular is because it reveals so many psychological aspects that play so large in the NBA, maybe more so than ever now that the teams are as young as they've ever been. Psychological aspects that Statistics and analytics have no way of accounting for. I was reminded in the opening minutes just how new this situation was for the Grizzlies. I took it for granted that they were in the playoffs with this same core group a year ago, so it's not as if this would be something unfamiliar. But I could tell right away it was. Not just for the players or the coaches, but the entire organization. Yeah, Way back in 2012, they made it to the conference finals. Robert Perra had just bought the team. He may be the only one left from those days, and I doubt he was in the locker room before this game against the Timberwolves, imparting whatever he learned from Marc Gasol and Mike Connolly and Tony Allen and Coach Lionel Hollins. Even back then, they weren't ever the favorites. The 2012 team was the fifth seed, so it didn't even face expectations as heady as this year's squad. These Grizzlies were opening the playoffs at home 
as the series prohibitive favorite. I don't believe a Memphis team has ever been this highly regarded going into the postseason. And that's a whole different animal than last year's experience, mentally. Winning not one, but two play-in games for the right to fly to Utah and face the league's winningest regular season team, the Jazz. The Grizzlies had absolutely no pressure on them last year going into Salt Lake City and all the confidence in the world, having knocked off the highly respected Greg Popovich and his San Antonio Spurs, and then going into the Chase Center and outlasting Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors in overtime, no less. They did, essentially, what the Timberwolves just did to them, winning Game 1 over the Jazz, for many of the same reasons. Being the heavy favorite in front of fans who have been dreaming of a title run thanks to all that regular season success. Hell, my FS1 colleague Skip Bayless predicted going into the weekend that the Grizzlies would be in the finals this year. We'll save how crazy that is for another day. It was clear the Timberwolves were still riding all the good feels they got about themselves in knocking off the Clippers. Anthony Edwards, who finished with 36 points in his first playoff game ever, said it felt like a regular season game. And why not? The T-Wolves had no expectations on them, least of all Edwards. Moreover, the T-Wolves arrived with a bit of an edge as well, having been roundly mocked for how joyously they celebrated that win over the Clippers. There may not be a more potent combination especially for a young team, than confidence and anger over being disrespected. It is what fueled both the We Believe Warriors and the 1995 Houston Rockets, to name two lower-seeded teams that pulled off shocking upsets to different degrees. I could probably name a half dozen more, but you get the point. It is a very real and powerful thing for a team to have in its favor. The Miami Heat had it going for them in the first game of their playoff series with the Atlanta Hawks. That's an example of a team both motivated because it has been discounted and two, knows better than to underestimate an opponent simply because they got in via the play-in. Assuming the Grizzlies keep this core together, I wouldn't expect to see this happen to them again either. It's funny though what the pressure of expectations can do to a team. It causes players to play too fast in some ways and be too slow in others. It's understandable, though. We've all been in situations where we feel amped and try to control that wattage, which means we're thinking about what we're doing and not just doing it. And that's what the Grizzlies did. They started out playing way too fast offensively and way too slow defensively. It's instinctive when the other team is scoring with ease, as the Timberwolves were, to want to answer back as quickly as possible. But when that happens, a team generally devolves into every individual wanting to deliver the answer instead of letting the answers offensively just come and develop and to focus all that hyperdrive into turning off the other team's spigot, closing and recovering and gang rebounding. The Grizzlies have been a very good rebounding team all season, but they all looked as, they, as if they were expecting the other guy to get the loose ball or rebound. 
Once they were behind double digits, which came early, first quarter, John Morant did what you would expect a star player to do, particularly one capable of getting to the rim or free throw line at will as he can. He tried to single-handedly pull them back within striking distance. Dylan Brooks tried to do the same thing, as he did and had to during the stretch of games that Morant missed near the end of the season with a sore knee. That's another tricky element to all this. There are times when it's good for a player to follow his instincts, and other times when he has to recognize those instincts were honed under different circumstances than the ones he's now facing. Morant's instinct was to take over because that's what he'd done for most of the season when the Grizzlies got in trouble. But that was also Brooks' instinct as well because that's what he'd had to do for 10 of the last 13 games of the regular season. They'd had only one game together, a 27-point romp over the Pelicans in the last three weeks of the season. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, while they individually did a decent job in the first quarter scoring, Ja had 15, Dylan had 8, they had a grand total of one assist and two turnovers between them, and the Grizzlies had a total of five assists. That's how many Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns had between them alone, along with scoring 13 and 12 points respectively. And the Timberwolves as a team had 10 assists in the first 12 minutes on 16 made shots. That's a pretty good ratio. And when they weren't making their shots, they were collecting the misses, out-rebounding the Grizz on the offensive glass 5-2 to two in the first quarter, another category that Memphis dominated all year. One team was clearly playing together, and the other was scrambling as individuals to find an answer. I thought at some point the Grizzlies would come out of it, that they'd settle down, and they did to a degree, cutting Minnesota's lead to three by halftime. But you could tell every time they got within a score to take the lead, they pressed and got out of rhythm again, passing up shots they normally would have taken in pursuit of a better one, or being overly aggressive and taking shots not in their normal wheelhouse, or looking for the big dagger three that would flip the momentum and, as a result, ended up rushing those shots, missing 20 of the 27 three-pointers they took, most of them wide open. Meanwhile, being a step slow on defense created other problems, most notably foul trouble, especially for Jaron Jackson Jr. He wound up playing only eight first-half minutes thanks to three fouls and scoring all of three points. That left Steven Adams to defend Towns, which he tried to do by pressing up on him, even on the perimeter. There are nights that assuredly can work on Towns. But this was a Towns who had been limited to 10 points in the play-in game because of his own foul trouble, and he was extra motivated to play through the contact and refused to be bullied. Brooks had the same issues with Edwards, eager to show he was up to the one-on-one challenge, 
But Edwards had his inside and outside games both working and used Brooks' over-aggressiveness against him, mixing his sidestep threes and mid-range pull-ups and drives to the rim effortlessly and effectively. And, as a result, Brooks wound up in foul trouble too. I listened to the end of the Grizzlies game as I drove up to the Warriors' chase center for their game against the Nuggets and watched most of the 76ers-Raptors game in the media room. I've got plenty to break down about the Warriors based on what we saw in Game 1, but that really deserves an episode unto itself. Staying with the psychological theme, I was not surprised Aaron Gordon for the Nuggets had a miserable game, and I can point to exactly why. Gordon and Klay Thompson got tangled up and received technical fouls after jawing at each other in the second quarter. Klay was the demonstrative one, while Gordon, who by the way, went to Midi High School in the South Bay area, looked like he had seen a ghost and played like it the rest of the night. There was a point when he got the ball in the corner with one defender on him and he didn't even look to attack, but swim, simply swung the ball and I thought, oh, he's done. Gordon finished with eight points and five rebounds in 26 minutes, going three for 10 overall and 0 for three on threes. While Coach Mike Malone, whose team took 13 free throws to the Warriors' 27, did everything he could to say that Nikola Jokic got screwed over by the referees in getting only a pair of free throws without getting fined. It was a master class in how to make the point without saying anything that would get the league's attention. He kept repeating that he thought Jokic was supremely aggressive and did a great job of taking the ball to the basket and that he'd have to go back and watch the tape to see why he wasn't rewarded with more trips to the free throw line. Translation, there's no way in hell he should have only shot two free throws. But Malone offered no such defense for Gordon, for good reason. Gordon shot three free throws. Malone talked about how good Gordon is when he's aggressive, and how much the Nuggets need him to be aggressive for them to be at their best. Translation, Gordon wasn't the least bit aggressive in Game 1 against the Warriors, and as a result, the Nuggets weren't very good. On my drive home from the Warriors game, I heard my friend Jason Jackson on NBA radio talking about the Grizzlies needing to figure out what adjustments to make. I assume he meant X's and O's, schematics, rotations, because that's generally what people mean when they talk about adjustments in the playoffs. And I thought, the only real adjustment they have to make is to their attitude and their memory banks and their effort. The effort, defensively at the start, was horrendous. Now, I'm sure Taylor Jenkins, the Grizzlies coach who finished second on my Coach of the Year ballot, will show them the necessary tape to inspire them to play harder on defense and more cohesively on offense. Finally, there's the Raptors-Sixers game. Once I saw Pascal Siakam initiating the offense above the key, I knew that game was not going to go well for the Raptors. I was appalled that some of my media colleagues voted Siakam for all NBA. That is a sure sign of a voter basing his decision on statistical averages and overall win-loss record of a team anointing someone the team's best player based on his stats and figuring a team's win-loss record merited having someone getting all NBA accolades. 
Now, Siakam is a hardworking player who gets his numbers thanks to his relentless energy. But that doesn't fly in the postseason. Everybody plays hard. So it comes down to your ability to adjust. Now, if this series comes down to who can be a better all-around player, Joel Embiid or Pascal Siakam, who is consistently between the two hitting his mid-range and finding teammates, there isn't going to be a whole lot of suspense. You could see it in Joel's body language. He was not the least worried about what Siakam was going to do with the ball. But this is the beauty of the NBA playoffs and the seven-game series format. The twists and turns from game to game test a team's resilience like nothing else. Will the 76ers downshift as they so often have in the past? We shall see. But now we go forward. Will the Grizzlies come correct in game two? How will the T-Wolves respond to having grabbed home court advantage? Will Aaron Gordon come out of his shell? We're about to find out. And we'll break it all down here when we do. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United We Cast Network. A lot of other things happened over the weekend in these games, and I'll figure out which one I want to drill down on the most. I also have another episode prepared to take a one last look at LeBron James and the scoring title race and a lot of the chatter and innuendo that's out there about whether he was or wasn't chasing that title. All of that in an upcoming episode. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 